0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Ecclesia, it is so great uh, to see you face to face, to be in the room together, and to be hoping for a really beautiful future. We're gonna tell you more about what we're doing for Easter. I can promise you, uh, in true Ecclesia style, it's gonna be a a fitting party Uh, for the resurrection. And uh, we have some really exciting weeks ahead of us. And in the meantime, we have this journey called Lent. And so today I'm gonna talk to you about what does that look like? Um, Lent is set up to have 40 days of fasting. and six days of feasting. Sundays are intended to not be a day that you fast. And some of you think, well, that feels like a, I'm cheating. It's not cheating. It's just, it's just a reality that Sundays are a day that we celebrate the Lord Jesus. We're together. Intuitively, Christians have just gotten this, and people have for a long time, right? My, I grew up in, a, in a, a family where my grandmother, every Sunday, right, she made pot roast. And so, Whoever was there, anybody who grew up in a family like this? Was pot roast you're, if you're making pot roast, I would love to know uh, your address specifically is what I would love to know. Because there was something about it, right? It just, you came home, anybody else remember what that smell? You came home and you could smell it. And it smelled like, ah, oh, this is about to get good, right? And then we would, you would do things you didn't do other days. You would nap, right? You'd eat, you'd talk, you'd nap. Today's a day that your calling is to relax and celebrate Jesus. Like that's what Sundays are for. So enjoy that. There are these other days where we're going to fast or uh, one of the things you can do in Lent is not just remove things from your life. You can add things to your life. I'm going to invite you to add an important thing to your life uh, in this Lenten season that I think will make a big difference. Um, but the fast thing is not intended. I'm going to read you a passage in just a minute from Isaiah. Like it's not intended to be a competition where you just beat yourself up, right? And there's some of you, and maybe you're like an Enneagram One, you're a perfectionist, and your goal is to win Lent. Like, you're going to win. You, you're, you have a vision that we're going like, to have a drum roll, and like, the best faster at Ecclesia was, and you're going to like, I crushed it, perfect fasting, right? And there are some of us that are not that way. How many of you have already failed in your fast? You're, you've already, well, you're a sinner too, so... This is the lesson you need to be reminded. I am too, right? I've already failed in my fast. And we're already at this place. This is not what it's uh, it's about or what it's intended to be. In fact, I'm going to read you this passage, and I'm going to invite you some other things to consider. In Isaiah 58, this is part of what God was saying to his people. Isaiah uh, and God were in a dialogue about fasting. Jesus talks about some of the same things uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you're fasting so that people notice, like, you've missed it. And in Isaiah, he's saying this. He says, this kind of fasting you're doing, it's pointless. Like, you'd be better off not doing it for it only leads to bitter quarrels, contentious backbiting, and vicious fighting. Right? What's, what's he saying? What's God saying? He's saying, listen, the way that you're fasting, likely from some foods right? I, I was thinking about going back to doing, I, I was doing no carbs for a while. I thought about doing that in fast. It didn't work out for me. I was hangry all the time. And that's what God's saying. Like, you're fasting, it's just hangriness. Like, that's, and th- there's nothing spiritual about being hangry with people, right? If everyone at your work hates you during Lent, Jesus is not winning, okay? <laughs> So that's not the kind of fasting you want to do, but you may want to take some things out of your life that have been disruptive or not healthy. I could also advocate this Lent that we've had two years of taking things out of our lives and maybe you don't need to take anything out of your life, right? It's been two years of just total disruption. If you don't want to disrupt, that's fine. I would suggest you add some things. But he's saying if that's what you're doing, don't, just don't do it. But this is the good part. Uh, This is what's so great about this passage. There are a few nuggets in the Bible that are just so clear. And clarity is kindness, uh, Brene Brown I think says, but it's also um, can be painful because now what we, we know because of this passage exactly how God wants us to fast. And now we get to decide today, you can decide, is that how we wanna do it? He says, what kind of fast do I choose? Is a true fast simply some religious exercise for making a person feel miserable or woeful? And the answer obviously is no. Is it about how you bow your head like a bent reed, how you dress in sackcloth and where you sit in a bed of ashes? Is this what you call a fast, the day the eternal one finds good and proper? He says, no. What I want in a fast is this, to liberate those tied down and held back by injustice. Now, Ecclesia, we live in a world We live in a city filled with injustices the fact that any kid in our city given the wealth that we have would go to bed hungry on any night is an injustice the fact that any kid in our city wouldn't have an equal opportunity for education and advancement it's an injustice so what do we what do we do we help, we liberate those tied down by injustices. If you have trouble finding an injustice in the world, talk to me. I'll point you towards one. But the reality is, and I'm gonna tell you more about it in the service, we're a ch- because we're a church, we can do so much more together than we can do on our own. And so what happens is, I get to be a funnel with you For the things that God's given us, you know how how much my phone has rang this week for pastors from uh, Poland and Hungary and other places that are welcoming Ukrainians. Do you know how easy it is for us to gather our resources and now help them feed and care for people? It's just not hard. And so, what are we going to do? We're going to do that. So, if you want to fast well, let us join together and welcome our brothers and sisters. The injustice. For us, can you imagine, like a lot of you, we have more babies here. Just look, ar- I mean, some of them are in the room, but some of them are in the back. We have more beautiful babies and kids here. It is so beautiful. We dedicated one at the last service. Can you imagine picking your kids up? Anybody remember going on a road trip and it was like, I want all my stuffed animals, right? You're like, Like, we're just going for three days, like pick one. Can you imagine leaving everything that you know and knowing that you may never come back and being at the entire mercy of benevolent strangers? And so Ecclesia, I wanna fast well. May we, do, may we lighten the load of those heavily burdened. May we free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me, God says, involves sharing your food with people who have none. I got to tell you, one of the reasons you, said, Pastor, you feel a little fired up. I can't. I just came back from the Venezuela border, where even in a year where we were not there in 2020, we didn't get to visit at all. We went two years, and we have these amazing partners. If, Can I indulge you with a story and just remind you, this is part of how, because it may have been a while. Some of you may not remember. For years, literally for years, I would read about what was happening in Venezuela. And when I would preach, I would often say to you, like, remember to pray for Venezuelans. And some of you are Venezuelans. We have Venezuelans in our congregation. And I would just remind you, and I would say on a regular basis, like, I don't even know how to help because we can't fly into Venezuela, it wouldn't be wise. Chavez is, I don't even have the right word to say during a sermon. He's made life hell for people, and it's not safe for us to be there, and we want to help. And I would just say, like, pray for them, we don't know how to help, Um, I wish we could help. And I was preaching in Mexico about four years ago, and while I was preaching, I said what I always say, please pray for Venezuelans, we need to do something. And after the service, um, this guy, Diego, comes up, and he says, do you really wanna do something? And I'm like, of course I do, I say it in sermons all the time, do you think I'm a liar, of course I do. And then he said, meet me at the Venezuela border next Friday, right? It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> hey, I'm going to be there next Friday. You know that you can fly from Houston, Texas to get there. Meet me there. Right? And that's how we got involved. And even in 2020, when we were, felt, I felt like we weren't doing anything. We, we had, on one of our early trips there, we realized they needed a kitchen. I came back and said, hey, we need 35, 40 grand for a kitchen. One guy at Ecclesiastes goes, I got that. right? so we built the kitchen and in the pandemic they're like well we got a kitchen all we need is food if we could just keep the pipeline of funds coming through we could feed people and in one year in 2020 when the world was shut down we fed 200,000 meals right through that kitchen just in part because we just said hey God what is it you want I tell you that story to tell you the need is still great at Venezuela and it's worse in the border than it ever before we need to keep doing that we also need to adopt the exact same posture with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. And so what we have to say is, okay, God, wherever there's an opportunity to help, we know we have enough extra to be helpful. And so I wanna invite you in this season. You could do it just for six weeks. As a part of your Lenten fast, would you make giving through the church a part of what you do? Do it for six weeks and then decide like, you know what, I'm actually better at spending money than the church is. I'm gonna keep more of it. Do whatever you decide at the end of that but what I can tell you is that you're a part of what I believe to be the most generous church on the planet that I know of that shares radically with people and what we want to do is flood resources to areas like the Venezuela border and like the borders in Poland and Hungary where churches are saying like we have buildings but we don't have enough money to feed everybody and we can say hey we could do that and so I'll be working on a trip there soon and we'll update you but I want to encourage you to do that. If that's a part of our fast, he says, this is what will happen. If if it involves sharing your food with people who have none and giving those who are homeless a space in your home, giving clothes, and that's exactly what's happening at the borders around Ukraine right now, giving clothes to those who need them and not neglecting your own family. Then he says, then, oh, then. If you'll fast like that, then oh then your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun now i don't know if you've gotten up for the sunrise lately kristen and i have like we're religious about sunsets like just as many as we can soak in and literally i should have put some of these photos up like you you soak in a great sunrise or sunset and you just realize like god's a show-off right anybody else have that sense when you watch when you're just like god is showing off He's like, you think you're powerful. Look what I can do every day. And I'll make tomorrow's better than yesterday's. And it'll be more and more beautiful. And if you don't see a sunset and think like, if you see a sunset and go, well, obviously there was some big random explosion and everything just fell into place just like this, right? Anybody have that thought when you see a sunset? Like, obviously, there is no God behind all of this. No, the opposite. You're like, there has to be a creator that could put all of these planets in motion and perfectly around the sun and create the biodiversity that exists on this planet. Even as hard as we've tried to mess it up, it's beautiful. And God says to Isaiah, if you want to be as beautiful as a rising sun, then share what you have with those that have need and let your fast make an impact on the world he says in an instant you will be healed now a lot of us we got things we need to heal but part of that healing is our generosity it's our sharing he says your rightness will proceed and protect you the glory of the eternal will follow and defend you and when you do call out my God where are you the eternal one will answer I'm here And if you remove the yoke of oppression from the downtrodden among you, and you stop accusing others, that's a big one, by the way. He says, you'll never do anything good if you're, this is what we do in this country, especially. We're like, well, we were gonna fix the problem, but they keep messing it up, right? And it's usually the other political party, or it's the other group, or it's the people that have more than we do, or the people that have less than we do. And he just says, if you'll stop that, stop accusing others, and you'll get rid of all mean and inflammatory speech. If you'll do that, if you make sure the hungry and the pressed have all that you need, then your light will shine in the darkness. And even your bleakest moments will be bright as clear day. Now, that's a beautiful promise there at the end. Hear that one. He says, even your worst moments, even your bleakest, your darkest moments, they'll be as bright as a clear day now I don't know about you Ecclesia but that's the kind of life I want to live that's the one I want so I want to invite you into a couple of practical things that I think we could do together in this land and and here's the first one this my invitation to you is to try to see your life and your story more clearly in this season so the great part of the christian calendar is that you can be a christian for just a year and you'll go through at christmas the birth we'll go through the passion and that leads to the death and the resurrection of jesus at easter we get to go through the gospel stories and if you're just around for a year you'd get a sense of the whole big story and my fear for most of us is that we're living into small parts of both the christian story and our story and we're missing the big sweeping narrative so because life, really, and this is what I'm praying for for you and for me during that, that we would get a change of perspective. Isn't it amazing how on a great photo, and I, in the last service, I sent a not great photo uh, by accident because I was sending it from my phone while I was on my way here. Did it, you get the one I resent, Jeremy. So this is the, a photo I took, um, and it's just a selfie at the rodeo. It's Kristen and I. But that's Cody Johnson on a horse behind us. Like, it just, like, If you weren't there, you still could hopefully capture the emotion and the idea that maybe I'd had some red wine already as well (laughs) on my teeth, but you could probably get like, just from a little perspective, like there's a, there's a, there's a narrative happening there, right? There's, there's movement and there's action. And this is what I'm afraid of. Most of our lives are lived like right here. And it's just, it's hard to get perspective, like, if you're like me and you're raising a kid, and mind gratefully, it's like he's going to be an adult soon, my youngest. But he's still like, you know, getting him out of bed every day is painful, right? <laughs> and, you know, you make him a smoothie, you make him breakfast, and, and he rarely is just like, Dad, you're such a great dad. I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for the smoothie that you made for me. Like, it's usually like, he's going to get up earlier than he plans and then he won't get out of bed anyway. And I got up earlier for no reason. It's just this, I'm starting to vent, aren't I? You can, <laughs> it just, like, there's just this thing of life where it's, and, and what I need from time to time is a little bit of perspective and pull back and go like, I'm not like, you know, a personal assistant and, and a breakfast chef. I'm, I'm actually shaping a human being that I believe is going to make the world better. Like, that's a great job. Like, that's a job I can get behind. But if I'm when I'm right here, right, it just feels like this is futile. And whatever, like, it can be the same with your vocation, right? That you're, you're at work and you just feel like this is a grind and it's the next thing in front of you and I'm behind on this and I failed on this and my boss is not happy with me and it's just all right there and you kind of miss, like, I have an opportunity to impact my coworkers and my clients and the people that I work with, and it's a good thing. And I get to provide an income that cares for the people around me and also allows me to be generous with people across the globe. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it needs, right? It needs some perspective. And so what I want to invite you into this season is an opportunity for all of us to reexamine our stories, So what we're doing for the next six weeks, because we believe most of you are afraid to make any commitment that feels longer than that, especially if it involves like anything spiritual or intimate. But what we wanna invite you to do are six weeks of a group that we're we're called um, Living the Story. And it's just, we're gonna be doing a book study with my friend Mike Mantell's book called Thirsting for Living Water. And it's really about living a life that has meaning and significance. And we're gonna look at each of our stories in it. We're going to have a gathering here at 5 p.m. There's going to be food, and you're going to have an opportunity to meet people and pair off in a group. And what we're going to do is look more deeply at our own stories, because this is what I'm afraid of. And, and Mitzi will hit this again at the end if you want to talk about it. If you can't come tonight, we can still help you commit to a group. And literally, you could, you could meet with those people for six weeks and then say, I hate you, and I don't ever want to see any of you ever again, right? I'm just telling you, what's probably not going to happen is we're going to gather at Ecclesia and and somebody is going to be Filipino and they're going to make food. And you're like, I never had Filipino food like that before. You were my new best friend, right? It's just, you're going to connect with people and be like, I had no idea there were so many beautiful people in the world. But my fear for most of us is that we've lost the sense of the story that we're living in. Can I tell you an old story that if you've been around Ecclesia, you've heard a few times. But for me, it was a clarifying moment uh, where I realized that I'm not. I think if we, we we often want to reduce ourselves to like who we are on our license plate, right? So, or our license, our driver's license, like the facts about us. Like I'm Chris. I'm slightly under 200 pounds. Uh, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm Caucasian, but I'm, you know, my Caucasian-ness is really obsessed with Asian culture. I like the Asian part of my Caucasian. Um, it, I, could, I could make these li- little lists of facts, but if you know me, like if you really wanted to know me, you would, I'd tell you, I'd tell you a story about me, right? And you'd get a sense of like who I am and who you are. And we're living in this story. So years ago, I, um, I had this eureka moment, right, where um, I was remembering this old story with my, um, my dad was raised by his grandparents. So my dad's dad died in the Korean War when he was a baby. He was raised by his grandparents. His grandfather, my pappy, uh, was a one-armed truck driver. So if you've been around, you've heard me talk about pappy before. I, to me, I think the world should have more one-armed truck drivers in it. So I just remember being a kid like three years old and I'd sit in his lap and I'd like Flap his stub around, you know, and, and flap his stub around. And, and in, my, in my three-year-old head, I'm like, you know, you're thinking like, where's Pappy's arm, right? That's all you can think. And so I finally got old enough, I don't know, five or something, and I'll never forget. I'm sitting in Pappy's lap and I'm like, hey, Pappy, where's your arm? Right? And it just like, silence, right? And I think I got chastised a little bit for asking. So when I was an adult, I finally was like, who knows what happened to Pappy's arm, right? <laughs> like, can I ask the question now? Like, he's not here anymore. Like, I, so my dad's like, I don't really know the story, but I know my aunt's sister knows it. We, if you're like, you know, from Texas, you may have an aunt sister too. We don't know her name. She's just aunt sister. And um, so we asked aunt sister, and the story was that my Pappy was at a bar in what would have been the outskirts of town in Houston in the early days. Now it's like the Galleria and he got in a fight with this guy because this guy was mistreating a woman and my pappy beat the snot out of this guy right? and he thinks the fight's over and this guy goes out to his truck and he brings back in a gun and he shoots my pappy's arm off, severs it right? which already we're like, okay this is a good story, you know but what we didn't expect was that pappy then picks this guy up with his other good arm he throws him against a brick wall and it It kills him and um, what happened was Pappy was so ashamed that he'd killed this man that he never spoke of it ever again a day in his life and nobody was allowed to speak of it and what happened in my family just so you know and maybe it's happening in your family is we created a dynamic that when bad things happen we never talk about it again anybody else have that dynamic in their family and I realized like This story wasn't just my pappy's story. It was my story. In fact, when I heard the story, it took me a while before I told anybody the story. I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. And what Brene Brown says is, if you don't know your story, you're not living in your story and you're not living your life. And so what we want to do and what I'm praying for you during Lent is that the story of Jesus would intersect because I believe God has an amazing plan for every one of you and that this Lent would be your best ever and that you would engage whether you do it in one of these groups or in the sermon series or however you want to do it, but that you would take a deep, hard look at your story and decide what is it that God wants for me in this life and how do I live it the best I can? And I think if we do that, it will be a beautiful, beautiful gift. If you... um, want to make gifts specific to Ukraine, you can do that. Specific to Venezuela, you can do that. Or you can just do what many of us are doing and just make that giving a routine part of your life. And if you do that for six weeks, if you'll live into your story and you'll be generous in a way that maybe you haven't been before, I believe God's gonna do something really beautiful in all of us. And I'm grateful. I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, people ask me from time to time, like I'm living this new building and it's, crazy and it's unique people and you you tell people like you're a pastor and people often go like why are you a pastor right and um, this week this girl in the uh, lives in my building was trying to hide she knew I was a pastor she she had a drink and she was trying to hide it under her jacket and I'm like (laughs) I'm not that kind of pastor it's okay I'll pour you a drink you can come like it's okay you're not being judged but to get to tell them like I I believe that the best part of walking with Jesus, is that Jesus calls out the best in us in a way that never shames us for the worst, And I want to be a part of a community that does the same, that calls out the best in you. Now, some of you have failed in your Lent thing already. Nobody's going to shame you, right? You're going to fail in other ways. And together, we're going to stumble towards this finish line, And at times we're going to need a few people to pick us up, but I want to be a part of a community where we do that really well and we do it faithfully. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.